You're listening to The Humaning Podcast with real conversations as we call bullshit on everything capitalism, the patriarchy, and white supremacy culture has duped us into believing about self-care, mental health, fitness, wellness, and all things life. I am Steph Galante, and I created this show to support badass people doing solidarity work in pursuit of disrupting these systems in their lives and communities. Together, we'll discuss how systems of oppression are keeping us unwell and disconnected from ourselves and each other, and how to best support you in creating more aligned self-care practices that will help you human more easily. It's the shit we need to talk about. Hey, hey, welcome and welcome back. Here we are on the last Tuesday of May and I'm hoping that despite the fiery conversation I'm about to have with you, <laughs> I'm hoping that you are, this conversation is finding you in a space where you can breathe in this moment where maybe you can relax your eyebrows, you can soften your jaw, maybe soften your hands maybe allow for a little bit of movement or release within the body so that you can simply just be present, maybe think, learn, unlearn, consider, explore, because I'm dropping in with a conversation that I have not yet had on the show or on any platform really like in this way. And it's a conversation, if I'm being honest, has been that has been brewing for a long ass time. And the theme is (laughs) Western white yoga isn't it, friends, (laughs) period. In the West, in case maybe you're completely unfamiliar, which totally fine. Here I am. I'm going to break it down for you. In the West, yoga has been appropriated. It's been whitewashed and watered down. And honestly, as a result, the yoga industry is a big ass mess, (laughs) At least it is here in the U.S. And as I'm starting to connect with teachers and colleagues um, in other Western countries, particularly in Canada and um, England, I'm beginning to understand that (laughs) it's actually quite a mess there as well. Uh, So it's not just here. But here in the U.S., especially one of the biggest problems that we have is that Yoga Alliance, the governing body, if you will, of yoga, is making and keeping millions of dollars. While yoga teachers on average are being paid, I don't know, $20 a class, unless you're lucky enough to be quote unquote established like a big name or you're living um, in a near to or in a major city uh, where you can, you know, get more uh, more money and what you deserve really because of, you know, your expertise and being a human that needs to pay bills, right? When I say deserving, I don't mean just because are you better than the next person, but I mean like what we deserve as like humans because we need to pay our fucking bills. <laughs> My friends also, you know, yoga has been completely disconnected from its roots in these Western countries. And so in, in the West, um, what we know as yoga is a largely physical practice that is very ableist, actually. Um, It doesn't really include typically uh, any variations or many variations. There's often like a pose hierarchy where you're given a pose and then here are three variations to make it even harder. (laughs) Or one, if you can't do this, here's another option to make it easier. Um, It's often based on 
your body's ability to move through space, um, being injury free, usually having a thinner body, a bendier body. I mean, the list goes on. Classes may use tools like blocks or straps, but it's typically in the frame of assisting or aiding as in like you need help because you can't do the pose as it's meant to be. And classes may include breathing, maybe meditation, typically like a positive theme, you know, something that is like high vibe and, you know, allowing yourself to be your best self (laughs) without really deeply connecting to yourself in a way that uncovers all the bullshit, all the ugly stuff, all the hard stuff, as well as all of that that's going on in society, right? We can't talk about politics and all the bullshit and all the injustice, right? We need to just stay high vibe. I could spend probably an entire 10 months of podcast episodes talking about my problem with this. (laughs) Something also that is deeply happening um, within the West is appropriation versus appreciation. And appropriation is when you use something, anything for your own gain, you kind of take it and make money off of it. Something that is not within your culture, something that you are not brought up with, something that is not your own. Um, And that's exactly what's being done with yoga, right? Yoga's roots are not here in the U.S. They're not here in Western um, countries. And oftentimes the teachers who we're seeing are white um, with no connection to yoga's roots, which there's nothing wrong with white people teaching yoga at all. Um, But when... The, the practice, the culture, the philosophy, the teaching is completely disconnected from the countries and the culture and the values and the morals that it was created in and within, well, that's a problem. And unfortunately, in the yoga industry, it's usually white teachers who are centered and platformed and white teachers who are making the most money, white teachers who um, are looked at as the most um experienced and the most knowing. And it's an interesting place for me to be in because I am a person of color. Um, My parents are from Trinidad and Jamaica. By way of though, India, both of their ancestry comes from India, but I don't identify as South Asian. I identify as either West Indian or Indo-Caribbean, which the Indo-Caribbean, you know, signifies that um, of, um, uh, I identify in terms of like nationality from the Caribbean. Um, but that also indicates that ancestry from India. And it's interesting because, you know, my family's culture, um, some of it is, is, you know, connected back to Indian culture And then some of it isn't, some of it's Caribbean, some of it's Christian, right? Because Christianity um, is also a part of both of those countries' cultures. So I have been, since I have been in space talking about the appropriation of yoga, I've spent a lot of time, I mean, probably the last two years reevaluating my relationship with yoga, reevaluating 
my connection with yoga, my, my, I don't want to say right, but that's the word that's coming to mind right now. My right to teach and lead because this, all of this science, this wisdom, I feel comes down to me through my ancestry, through those roots, those connections I have, but they were not given to me in cultural, familial practices growing up. I was raised here in America um, Catholic, and so, you know, um, and also with a lot of American culture, but still some of the practices, some of the... um, the teachings and some of the rituals that I was brought up with that I saw my family in both the countries that my parents come from, that I saw them engaging in, are very much rooted in yoga <laughs> and its roots. And its roots con- is the countries from which um, it originated. So I, I, I share all that to say like I'm still on my own journey of unpacking and learning and, and figuring out where I fit in all of this. But I still fa- found, and the reason I'm talking about this today is because I feel like this conversation needs to be had. I, f- I have found that I'm constantly trying to defend or inform why I um, why my business is run the way it is and why yoga is such a foundation of it, why um, the Holistic Self-Care Collective has the foundation it does, that me- the mentorship program I have. And so I, I'm like, you know what? I need to finally set the record straight and also call out the shit that needs to be talked about. Um, you know, when it comes to yoga here in the West, what we know of it often is coming from social media, which is filled with what some people may call physical feats, <laughs> oftentimes arm balances and ultra back bends or like pretzel-like positions. It's also been what I like to call fitness, fitness fitness-ed. Because in commercial gyms, it's more of like acrobatics, (laughs) right? Like how far can I bend myself? How far can I stretch myself? How long can I hold something for? It's like extremist. And it's also been included in fusion style classes, you know, fitness classes that are like yoga and Pilates. Um, it's been cardioed. So cardio is added to yoga or yoga is added within cardio classes. Um, weights have been, I've seen classes where weights are added to asana, you know, even into the sun salutation. Um, and it's largely being used as a tool for stretching. But all of the goodness beyond the asana is left out. Unless maybe somebody's breathing through the poses or maybe somebody's meditating. But there's so much more to yoga. And also I, I said before about religion, you know, in America, a country rooted in Christianity Um, Also, another myth or assumption about yoga is that it is a religious practice. And here's the thing. 
you can be religious and practice yoga. You can not be religious and practice yoga. So it can be, you know, yoga, lifestyle, yoga culture, and yoga asana, which is typically what we're talking about when we talk about yoga in the West, can be practiced as a practice of religion, just as you might pray before you eat or, you know, any other, you know, religious practice. Or it could not have a religious context at all. And so, you know, in in typical American culture, what we don't know and our ignorance causes fear, right? Causes assumptions. Yeah, it's bullshit. (laughs) And so as a result of all of this, recently, like in the last week or so, I was just having this conversation in a a group session uh, recently. And I said, you know, I feel the need to rename all of my yoga classes. Something that starts with not your Western whitewashed appropriated watered down yoga class. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) Would you come? (laughs) Too much? Oh my gosh. So when it comes to the history, let's get a little serious now, right? When it comes to the history and the culture of yoga, I'm going to break it down for you as I currently understand it. But I also want to name that I remain on a journey of learning and unlearning since my experience with yoga is completely indoctrinated by American culture and values, like completely and totally. And it's funny because as I learn and unlearn and as I spend more time in reflection and consideration, again, I begin to connect back to my ancestral roots, uh, my ancestral wisdom. But it's a process. So you ready? Here's a little history lesson from what I know right now. In terms of the history of yoga, it is very broad. It was created in India as well as um, African and Middle Eastern cultures and ties. So, you know, there is often this um, definitive statement that yoga was created in India. No, in that area of the world, India, Middle East, Africa. It stems from... um, ancient holy texts like the Vedas um, in in India, but also other texts and other cultural practices outside of India. Um, It was written in um, many languages, one of which is Sanskrit, which is an ancient language. And so that's why oftentimes you will hear uh, names of poses and uh, names of teachings in another language. And, um, you know, for me, I think it's a beautiful thing to honor the history and the lineage of yoga um, and not necessarily always go by an English word because, again, appropriation. The definition of yoga, um, This is these are coming from the book Light on Yoga by BKS Iyengar, but there are many, like there are so many definitions of yoga and I don't think anyone is correct. Except for one that's incorrect is that it's just a you know physical practice to make you bendy, right? It could mean union or communion. It could be the disciplining of the intellect, the mind, the emotions, the will. It could be the poise of the soul that enables one to look at life in all its aspects evenly. It could be deliverance from pain and sorrow. It could be your your human endeavor to kind of win or be with inner peace and happiness. It could be so many things, um, connecting very deeply on a spiritual or cellular level, also connecting you with others, different beings all around you. Um, 
And as I said before, you know, there are a lot of ancient and sacred texts that bring the teachings to us. Um, you may have heard of the Bhagavad Gita or the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali um, or, as I said, Light on Yoga by BKS Iyengar. Those are not only the ones. These are the ones that typically are out there in the Western world. But there are so many other texts and so many other teachers as well. There are a number of lineages of yoga, a number of teachers of yoga, um, which is why you can have a very different experience based on the type of class you go to or who the teacher is and where they, you know, which lineage their teacher training came from. If they did a teacher training, I mean, because that's a whole nother thing, you know, here in the U.S. especially, you know, we um, are so based on um, teaching and education and, um, you know, there's a hierarchy in that and so much of what we need to know about yoga actually isn't even included in teacher trainings and it comes from the wisdom that is passed on through generations, right, from people within the culture. So that's also problematic. Um, but, and putting that aside, not because it's not important, but because it's not part of our conversation today, although it's a really important one and hopefully one that I'll be having, um, in coming episodes. Um, yoga really is a philosophy and a way of life. It connects the mind, body, and spirit. It connects you, all of your energies and all of your different states of consciousness. It deepens your connection to yourself, to others, including your ancestors, all beings, nature, the universe. Um, it includes the physical practice of exercises called asana, but it is not only the asana practice. Now, when it comes to yoga and its culture, um, I cannot remember if it's Susanna Barkataki or Michelle Cassandra Johnson that coined this phrase, but it's a practice of personal liberation and collective freedom, which I freaking love. I think that that just hits it on its head. And the culture of yoga is guided by an eightfold or eight-limbed path of observances or practices. And, and what I'm about to share is largely informed by the work of Susanna Barkataki and Michelle Cassandra Johnson because they are doing work to dismantle this white supremacy culture, you know, that is and this that's deeply, you know, in rooted in and has washed, whitewashed. Um, what yoga really is meant to be and yoga at its roots. And so when we talk about the eightfold or eight-limbed path, which some people call Ashtanga or Ashtanga, Ashtanga Yoga, um, there are basically eight principles. And um, we look at this not just as practices for our personal life, but also practices in that help us uphold social justice. So the first one is yamas. These are ethical disciplines, a sense of integrity, a focus on our behavior and how we conduct ourselves outside in life. And there are five of them. Ahimsa, which is nonviolence or non-harm. Satya, which is truth, truth telling, truthful listening, truth living, you know, not living in ignorance um, or with rose-colored glasses on. It may require a lot of learning and unlearning. Asteya, which is non-stealing or not taking more than you need or that is freely offered. So hello, greed. Uh, Brahmacharya which is energy management of extremes, which is, could be a feelings, cravings, um, manipulation, um, and, and tempering all that with moderation. It also is a movement towards essential truth. And the fifth one is aparagraha, non-possessiveness, non-grasping, and letting go of attachment. And, you know, attachment not only in a physical nature, but emotional, mental as well. The um, second limb is the niyamas, 
ethical behaviors towards ourselves, tools for inner strength and self-reflection, which those last two um, are input from Michelle Cassandra Johnson. And the first one is Sasha, which is um, purification, cleanliness in the body, mind, and emotions of your spaces, your relationships, pure actions, and the elimination of toxicity, which includes our toxic systems. Um, Santosha, contentment, which uh, being present, the present practice of acceptance of what is right now. Excuse me, being at ease. The fourth one, I'm sorry, uh, the, the, the third one, I'm sorry, is tapas, which is like fiery discipline to blaze, to burn, to shine devotion, inner strength of body and mind, um, character, courage, wisdom, straightforwardness and simplicity. Also Svadhyaya, which is self-study, self-reflection or absorbing spiritual wisdom, non-judgmental self, uh, non-judgmental self-observation. And for me, that's also a practice of noticing what is and the opposite of spiritually bypassing and gaslighting ourselves. Because if we're acknowledging what is, then we can't ignore it and bypass it. And we also can't say, oh, well, it should be a different way. Why am I like this? Shouldn't I be better? Shouldn't I not be experiencing this? Like that's bullshit. And then the fifth niyama is Ishvara Pranidhana. And that is a surrender to God, surrender to spirit. It is also offering your skills, um, your abilities up for something greater than yourself. It could be, um, you know, a a higher focus, a higher um, meaning. Um, And you know, Michelle Cassandra Johnson and Susanna Barkataki, they, they encourage us to use both the yamas and the niyamas as the foundation of our work in social justice in calling out the ways that things are not right and, and, and not equitable. The third um, of the eight limbs of yoga is asana that's what we know the most of your our movement in physical postures and the purpose of asana is not to be the bendiest person it is not to be able to do arm balances to prove that you are so strong it is it's not about holding a pose for the longest period of time it is about bringing steadiness to yourself health to yourself a lightness in the way you move through the world. Because when we are steady, when we are with health, when we are light in ourselves, and I don't mean light as in like you don't weigh a lot, but like the vibe, the feeling, the essence of being light, that allows for mental equilibrium and it prevents you from all of or lessens, I shouldn't say prevents, but lessens the um, the natures of the mind that feel unsettled or get stuck in sadness or stuck in anger, right? Not saying that you don't want to have these feelings or emotions, but that you don't get stuck in it, right? Asana is meant to be performed anywhere without the need of particular equipment unless you know, you don't have to have a yoga block. You can use something else. You don't have to have a yoga strap. You could use something else, right? You don't even have to have a yoga mat or yoga clothes. 
um, you know, asana is geared towards um, addressing all of the muscles, the nerves, the glands, creating a strong, flexible body, you know, flexible for you, right? That is free of disease, a mobile body, hopefully reducing fatigue, soothing the nerves because friends, we want to soothe the nervous system. And what it does is allows the body to be strong, not fit as in what the West Western culture has named fit, but like fit as in when, you know, so that we can be at ease and as healthful as we can be, you know, doesn't mean that we're going to get rid of illness. It doesn't mean that, you know, all of a sudden if you have chronic fatigue that you won't have chronic fatigue anymore, but it's just to allow you to have a more easeful way of being. So then your mind can be at ease because that really is the focus of yoga is allowing your mind to be more at ease. The name of poses pays homage to the history of yoga, um, to all that is around us, vegetation, insects, animals, sages who were profoundly wise men. I mean, let's be real. The patriarchy goes back way back, even thousands of years ago. Um, especially people who um, featured in like ancient history or legend as well as gods. And then the um, fourth limb is pranayama, breath control, right? Prana is the breath of life, vitality, wind, energy, or strength. Ayama is length. And so this is the ability to kind of control the breath for a length of time or allow the breath to be lengthened. But when we talk about pranayama, we're not just talking about the body. We're not just talking about things that happen in the body sense. We're talking about the soul, a connection to your soul. And also, you know, energy that is present from your soul, a representation of how things are within you. It can help to soften or decrease symptoms of or help to deal with symptoms of you know, different diseases, respiratory diseases, stomach and digestive. It helps you also cope with mental illness or just mental like instability or just like when you are feeling mentally unsettled or unwell. Also issues with stress. And these practices, breathing practices can and should change season to season based on how the energy affects you of the season as well as what the needs are of the season to remain in balance. The fifth limb is pratyahara, which is a withdrawal or uh, of the senses or sensory transcendence. And this is that conscious effort to draw our attention and our awareness away from the external world and outside stimuli. So that could be, you know, you know, whether it's from your phone and the doom scrolling or the way in which we stay connected so deeply to all the shit going on in the world. And this is not where I'm saying, oh, throw your head in, you know, under the blanket, put your head in the sand. No, but it's like the hold that social media has on us, the hold that our ego has on us, the hold that materialism and having and greed and money and success and getting ahead and all that shit, you know, perfectionism, ableism, like all the things, like how deeply entrenched they are within our psyche and all of our ways and be and ways of being and and our attention and what we choose to pay attention to and spend our money on and hold as right and good and powerful turning to ourself <laughs> turning to ourself for answers turning to ourself for happiness and fulfillment and not materialistic things right cultivating detachment um, the ability to look and be with ourselves 
to look at our desires and cravings, what is serving us and what is not. Dharana is the next one, and this is concentration. Being able to slow down the thinking process, maybe concentrating on one thing, honing the skills that we have developed through asana and through breathing and through withdrawal of the senses will help us to develop concentration. And, you know, that will help us to fine-tune our focus. And then extended periods of concentration will then lead to meditation, which is the next of the eight limbs. And meditation is that uninterrupted flow of concentration. It's maybe keenly aware without focus or it could be focused on one thing where, and this is also where the mind maybe has quieted or slowed. Maybe there are fewer thoughts, fewer distracting thoughts or fewer time spent being distracted. But remembering that this process is a practice. It's a practice of bringing your attention back when you've gotten distracted. And it's okay to get distracted because the mind is meant to think, right? So it's coming back and getting refocused on whatever it was that you were focused on and allowing there to be space and time for that. And remember, even if it's not perfect, every time we practice, we benefit, even if it's for 30 seconds, for real. The last of the eight limbs is samadhi, which is bliss. It's bliss or great joy of being at one with yourself, at one with the universe and all of the things within it and beyond it. It is a sense of peace, a sense of enlightenment. Um, And it's funny because I teach all of these eight limbs to my college students at Rutgers. And something I ask them is, do you feel that samadhi is accessible right now? Do you feel like this is a state that you have to get to or can it be part of your journey? Can you access it now? And they're like, well, I don't know. Some of them say yes. Some of them say no. Some of, some of them say it's complicated, right? Some of them say, well, um, when, I'm, when I have my career, when I have the money, when I you know, have these things, when I have the status, that's when I'll be happy. Some of them say, well, I can't pay my bills right now and my family is, has these needs and this injustice is happening and how can I be happy? And so... The point of yoga and the point of samadhi t- for me is the cultivating the ability to be happy now, even with all the shit going on. And that even when you are at, you know, going through the darkest, deepest thing or the hardest thing that you still can find moments of ease, moments of joy, because it's those easeful and joyful moments that keep us tethered to hope and to the practice of trying to make things better, to continue to disrupt so that we don't just fall into the depths of despair so that we can be, remain present and conscious of what, how we are showing up in the world and um, aware, honestly. It's a continued, samadhi is a continued devotion to ourselves. And I know that that can sound kind of weird for people, devotion, because it's often used as a religious term, religious religious term. Um, but devotion is simply your, you know, I, I almost said loyalty, but loyalty too, because loyalty doesn't have to be a bad thing. I, I'm not talking about like loyalty with like a blindfold on. Loyalty you choose, Right. It's a connection to it. It's how deeply you are connected to something and, and how you keep coming back to it, keep learning, keep, keep growing, right? To me, that's what this is. And so hopefully you've kind of gotten from all of this that so much of yoga is rooted in the ease of the mind, the balancing and being 
and being able to feel and manage big emotions, not not having them, right, but being able to manage them. Yoga is inherently social justice. It is in and of itself a direct disruption of white supremacy culture, capitalism, patriarchy, ableism, and all of the other oppressive systems in place in our world. It is it is literally the system that disrupts um, any... Uh, disparaging of or um um what's the word I'm looking prejudice against any community including like you know with trans folks non-binary folks queer folks the entire lgbtq community you know based on race or anything else it is simply the living of being with one another in community. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it's for those reasons that the yoga teachings, yoga culture, yoga philosophy, along with its sibling science, Ayurveda, are the foundation of the Holistic Self-Care Collective, which is my group mentorship program. The wisdom from both of these sciences are intricately woven into the fabric of this mentorship program from the monthly self-care focus that I offer to the members each, each month to my coaching and guidance style. Additionally, I lead a weekly yoga class. I use that in quotes, yoga class called Align Yoga because what it does is allows us to align our practice with ourselves and get in alignment with ourselves. We kind of focus on detaching from our ego in connection to our connection to ourselves. Um, it enhances our ability to kind of um, connect to our five senses and the four parts of our awareness um, in our thoughts and our feelings, our sensations, our energy and what type of energy is present and how if we are feeling balanced and in harmony with ourselves, how can we maintain that? And if we're not feeling in harmony, how can we establish balance or get closer to balance? So I often offer varieties in the poses to help us to feel more uplifted or uh, more spacious, less critical, less intense, or more grounded and settled um, if any of those energies are running too high. And so the practice is designed to offer not just um, physical gain, but also mental and emotional health support. This is not a practice that leaves the shit at the door. It's that, unless that is what you need, right? It's one that honors the shit that is going on and allows you to bring it with you as messy or as hard as it is. And also celebrates the good if that's what you're feeling. And so my teaching style, in terms of that, I'm trained in smart asana yoga. That's my yoga teacher's school. Um, and my yoga teacher's training stems from the lineages of Anusara and Iyengar. Um, and so I have been taught to teach in, with a focus on alignment and posture within the body. Um, and these things are important to me, but also I have adapted and evolved the, the, my teaching. So that way, you know, with the understanding that each body is different and the pose is not going to look the same with each body. And so I'm often guiding and offering cues, um, you know, in terms of body placement, but there are so many options within it. 
right? And it's just a guide. It is not the focus. It is not the be all end all. Um, I'm also a mental health and trauma informed yoga teacher, which means that I'm trained to lead practices to support people living with PTSD, depression, anxiety, trauma, and chronic stress, which is becoming given this state of the world, something that many people are dealing with. I also specialize in leading empowering, um, classes that enhance your self-awareness, your self-acceptance, your self-empowerment, and one that creates harmony within your mental, emotional, energetic, and physical health. Every single class includes introspection based on the yoga philosophy that we're focusing on that month and breathwork at the beginning and autonomy-based asana practice and deep relaxation at the end. Special attention is paid to finding a place of ease amidst whatever it is that you may be feeling and there's no pushing away or ignoring feelings. And also I bring my education and experience in kinesiology to the practice to enhance muscle strength and flexibility and joint mobility. And I sequence classes based on the season and balancing the energy of nature. Each week, The class is recorded and accessible to the members within the collective at their convenience. In addition to Align Yoga Weekly, I also offer a monthly restorative practice that uses pillows and bolsters and folded blankets and towels, blocks, the chair, the couch, the bed for support so the participants can rest in the poses to restore themselves. It's without any muscle engagement. And they can reset and regenerate down to a cellular level. This practice is also offered as a recording within the collective. And in every single class practice that I teach, the participants are reminded they have full agency over their body, um, full autonomy over their practice. I offer variations um, in seated, standing, lying down positions, on the back, on the belly, kneeling positions. I offer as many variations for the poses as I can. I use the wall, the block, the stool, all these kinds of tools um, on a regular basis, not just as aids. Um, And I always remind the participants that they can absolutely omit poses and choose something else altogether. They can do something else. They can just lie there or sit there or do whatever they want in the practice. In addition to these kind of asana-focused classes, I also include a monthly Yoga Nidra guided meditation audio file in the collective. Yoga Nidra, in case you're unfamiliar, is an ancient tool designed to expand your awareness of yourself. It leads you through an exploration of five layers of your consciousness and helps you to feel a sense of wholeness throughout and afterward. And the focus of this practice also changes with each month and season and really puts your heart's deepest intentions, which is your sankalpa, at the center of the practice. Above all the goodness that each of these practice offers, the focus of every space we come together to practice within in the Holistic Self-Care Collective is honoring your needs while moving mindfully or simply being with intention and truth. So my friend, Enrollment in the Holistic Self-Care Collective is open and the first thing that we do together is create a personalized self-care plan and that centers your needs and your desires as you journey toward how you want to feel. We take our time and create and explore and adjust over the course of 12 weeks we do this for your aligned practices and have, and you have the variety of the support that the collective offers, which includes weekly email coaching with me, live stream classes, the recorded practices, and community gatherings to help you to integrate the practices and also navigate challenges along the way. So if you're ready, 
I'm ready. And the first step is to schedule your alignment call, which is a Zoom meeting at no cost to you, where we discuss where you are and how the collective can support you. You can do that and get the rest of the program's info at stephgalante.com slash collective. And so my friend, I look forward to connecting with you there. And until next time, please be kind and gentle to yourself just as you would to those who are most precious to you, whether that's a human, an animal baby, or a plant. I love to hear from you. I love to hear your thoughts. I love to hear what the ahas. I love to hear anything that came for, to you from this episode. So please feel free to reach out however it is that we are connected. And if we're not connected, get connected and share them with me. If you've been loving the show or loving this episode, please, please, please share it with your nearest and dearest. And also please, if you would, leave a rating or a review wherever it is that you listen. My friend, you are a badass and you are enough. Now go be your favorite self and be well. Humaning is a production of Steph Galante Self-Care, LLC. The show is produced by me, Steph Galante. You can find blog posts of some of the episodes on the episode page at stephgalante.com slash podcast, along with the transcript of today's episode and any other resources I shared today. If you're ready to create more aligned practices for yourself, head to stephgalante.com to learn more about creating a personalized self-care plan within the Holistic Self-Care Collective and coaching with me. You are a badass and you are enough. See you next time. Be well.